0: Today's reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, If you are willing, Lord, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment.
1: Thanks, Diana. And um, just to further plug SRE, we had Alex Boland being interviewed here last week, and he's from a family that doesn't have faith, and um, he became a Christian through SRE. Uh, In year three, his heart was impacted um, by the message of the gospel, um, and from that moment, um, he believed Jesus was a reality in his life. So if there was any further full stop needed, any further exclamation mark needed on the end of what Diana has just shared there it is. There it is. And Alex isn't the only one who has come to be with us through... Yeah, sorry. It's, 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 very, it's a wonderful door that is currently open. And um, it's worth praying and thinking about our involvement in it. At university, I had a friend who um, told me something like this. You, maybe you've heard Australians say something like this to you. Oh, if I ever went to church, I'd be struck down on the spot. Have you, have you heard... This sort of narrative out there. Now that comes from somewhere. That's not. That doesn't. That something has gotten into her psyche that connects entering this space with being smote. Um, if I approach God with my mess, I'll be smote. I'll be smited. Um, a question that we should ask is: is that consistent with the God? in the Bible? Is that consistent? Does that actually work out? And I would suggest no, it's not consistent. Here's the truth. When people, I realise I don't need this, double mics here. Here's the truth. When people bring their mess to God in humility, God responds by forgiving and cleansing. When people bring their mess to God in humility, God responds by Forgiving and cleansing. We've just had the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has explained what the kingdom of heaven is all about. He started with the type of people that are welcome in this kingdom. The meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The peacemakers... And then he goes on to explain what it actually means to be righteous in this kingdom. What does it mean to be in right relationship with God and people in this kingdom? And he has this big focus on getting behind behavior modification towards heart transformation. That is, however you follow the laws, if it does not equal love for God and love for your neighbor, you are following it wrong. If you have somehow weaseled the law to somehow avoid loving people and loving God, you are following it wrong. And that's because it has to always be about love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he finishes the Sermon on a Mount with a challenge to walk the narrow road with him as king in his kingdom. And what Annie preached on last week, Jesus puts such a high price on his words, Jesus was not just an ordinary teacher because at the end of this sermon, he says, whoever puts these words of mine and puts them into practice, what does he say? They will be like this, this structure that whatever comes against it, they will still be standing at the end. But he also had the gall to raise the stakes even higher. And he said, and if you don't if apply these words and put them into practice, then when those same storms hit you, you will fall. Strong words, strong words from the king. And so he finishes this amazing sermon, we know as the Sermon on the Mount, where he taught about his kingdom, and now we enter a part of the Gospel of Matthew where he demonstrates his kingdom. So, And there's at least two things going on here. He's legitimizing himself as the king he claimed to be. If he's the Messiah, then he's going to do things that prove it. That's part of what's going on. And the other thing is he's going to continue to explain who he is through these miracles. And we're we're going to zone in on the first miracle that was read mainly in this sermon. And this is the first miracle after Jesus' most famous sermon. So we should expect that it is full of symbolism as to what Jesus' kingdom is all about. And I want you to just read it again. The first three verses, there's no PowerPoint today, very old school, Um, So if you have Matthew chapter 8 open in front of you, it says this, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, so this is directly after his sermon where he's taught about his kingdom, large crowds followed him and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. The leper is a beautiful character in this story, isn't he? The leper has no doubt Jesus can heal. It's a humble posture, if you are willing. That humble posture is so important, what Jesus can do with a humble posture. And um, potentially, he's also unsure if Jesus would heal him. Because this man is permanently, by the Jewish law, permanently ceremonially unclean. He is permanently unfit to enter the temple, permanently, because of his leprosy. So you can understand if this man felt a lack of certainty approaching the Son of God and knowing if the Son of God would even want to be near him. Of course, He's he's confused. Like, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I think it would be appropriate to, to think he might be quite nervous and unsure approaching Jesus. And Jesus responds by touching him. Now, in biblical narratives, the details usually always mean something. In Western narratives... Like if you read Lord of the Rings, right, there's a lot of explaining of details, you know, like, you know, they'll, they'll explain the shoes, the armor, the, the scene, the cave. Biblical narrative, you'll notice, isn't like that. It's light on details. And it, part of, part of the, um, the genre of biblical narratives is that when there's a detail included, it usually always means something. It usually always means... So when Saul and David, when they describe Saul as a head taller, they don't tell us much else about his appearance. They tell him the part that is symbolically relevant to that story. And so with this, it makes a point that Jesus touched him. And the simple truth is, this man was never touched by anyone, ever, ever. And so you can see how Jesus' action, even before he says anything, has absolutely poured this healing balm on this man's doubts. As he's nervously, I don't even know if God wants me near him, approaches him, and, and the Son of God reaches forward and makes the move to touch him. It's beautiful. It's absolutely sensational what is happening here. See how that speaks to his doubts. What an awesome king. But it gets better if we dig a bit deeper and explore that, the, that this is written for a Jewish audience that has certain mental things that come up when they talk about clean and unclean. Remember, we're talking about a universe and a culture that is not Western culture. So when, these, when Jesus says, you are clean, it's bringing up all this stuff for the audience that it's not necessarily bringing up for us. Because we don't use these terms and we don't function in this culture. And, we ser- and most of us, um, I don't know, I'm, there might be someone with Jewish heritage in the room, but most of us are not in that camp. So to kind of understand, maybe to, to peel back this a bit more, to kind of get the deep significance of what happened, we need to just go back a bit to the Old Testament And so after humanity blew it in the garden, after humanity turned and decided to be their own gods and make a mess of things, God starts again with Israel. God starts with Israel. And God gives Israel their law, and he wants to dwell with them. He wants to dwell with his special people. And the way this works, if you know your Old Testament, is he says, I'm going to put my special presence in a tent in the middle of the camp. You guys know this? What's the tent called? Tabernacle, brilliant. Here we go. So, God's special presence. Now, the Israelites were not silly. They also knew God was everywhere. They didn't think God was, ju- but they had this idea that God's special presence was in the tabernacle, in the center of the camp. I had some funny thoughts in my head that if you were playing soccer and, you know, the kids were playing and the ball rolled into the tabernacle, I mean, what happened? You know, who goes? I don't know. I just had that funny thought. It's not relevant at all to the sermon. Um, but, God God just can't live with his people because he is holy. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45 says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Now, in the West, we often think of holy as connected to moral behavior, don't we? That's how we think of the word holy. So we don't... um, Now, the term means much more than that, but when we use the word holy we often attach it to moral behavior. So that's why we have things like, oh, you're so much holier than thou, you know, that sort of um, kind of moral superiority. But the word holy, of course, means much more than that. To be holy is to be unique, to be set apart, to be especially different. God is obviously holy because God is the only one who is creator. God is the only one who is sustainer. No one else is. God is the only one who is author of all life. God, so there are things that, there are qualities of God that are only God. That makes God holy. None of, when I describe those attributes, I'm not describing anyone else in this room. Therefore, the way it was thought is God, well, we can't just approach God. So there were rules around approaching God. And it was this simple idea that the word clean meant you could approach. And the word unclean meant you couldn't approach until you did some rituals to be clean. So let's try and understand this a bit more. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project is really instrumental in helping me have an amateur understanding of this stuff. Um, so to honor God's uniqueness, if you can think about this, the holy place was protected from things that were opposite to the nature of God as a way of honoring his uniqueness. So if God is the author of all life, things that are symbolically connected to death are kept away from his sanctuary as a way of honoring the fact that he is the God of all life. Does it make sense as a mindset? And so it was their way of honoring who God is. So if you touched a dead body, you hadn't sinned, but you were unclean. And so you had to symbolically and ritually do something before you entered the presence of God. So it's important that when we say clean and unclean, often when we read it in scripture, we think, oh, that's a bit harsh. Like, because we read it as sin, but no, it's, it's like you couldn't live normal life and not become ceremonial unclean. Like, that's how it works. Certainly, also, sins made you unclean, but there was this element of it where it was this way of worship that honored God's uniqueness. Now, it wasn't always a sin to be ceremonially unclean, but it was wrong to bring what was unclean into God's special presence. Now, it gets a bit different... And harsher and harder, though, when we talk about permanent skin diseases. Numbers chapter 5 verse 1 to 3 says this. Command the Israelites to send away from the camp anyone who has a defiling skin disease or a discharge of any kind, of any kind, or who is ceremonially unclean because of a dead body. Send away male and female alike, send them outside the camp so that they will not defile their camp where I dwell among them. These people hadn't done anything wrong. It is not wrong for you to have a discharge of any kind. These happen in our lives. Um, But you had to go through a process to make yourself clean, fit for worship. But those are temporary things. But for the person with the unending skin disease, it is a different story. They are literally, permanently, ceremonially unclean for worship. That's brutal, isn't it? That's absolutely brutal, blocked from the tabernacle. And you could understand, if that was you, this idea could set in that uncleanness and God just doesn't mix. You as an unclean person are a million miles from God. But actually, did you know, even before the New Testament, Scripture challenges that mindset. So the prophet Isaiah has this um, vision in chapter 6. This is, this is like actually, if you think about it, it's one of the most comical scenes in the Bible. So Isaiah, Isaiah wakes up in the presence of God. So, you know, there's the Lord, high and exalted seated on the throne, there's seraphim about, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And you might think that Isaiah is very happy to wake up in this place. He's terrified. He does not want to be there. He realizes he's in the presence of God and he freaks out because they're understanding. What happens when someone who is unclean enters the presence of God? He's not happy with this. So, in verse 5, he says, oh, woe to me. I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the more comic, I don't know if God was toying with him or not, but in verse 6, it would seem that his fears were being realized because if you imagine you had this vision and then it says, one of the seraphim (laughs) flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. So you're expecting God to smite you and this being starts coming at you with a t- coal from the fire, you might go, well, this is what I thought would happen. This is great. Love you, Mum. I'm out of here. But, but verse 7 flips the script of what the prophet Isaiah was expecting to happen, it seems, in his vision. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Your sin atoned for. It turns out in Isaiah's experience that when he, because he's, remember, he's got that same humble posture, he feels like he doesn't deserve to be there. When he takes his uncleanness into the presence of God, he doesn't contaminate God. God cleanses him. Very different. God cleanses him. So now when we jump forward to this leper who, doesn't, who is unsure what happens when his uncleanness collides with the Son of God, Jesus makes him clean. Jesus touches him. And in an act of compassionate love, crashes through all this person's understanding of themselves and their uncleanness. And Jesus cleanses him. So perhaps you this morning think you are too unclean. Do not dare disqualify yourself. If you think you are too unclean, you're wrong. You're wrong. We are all facing away as a a heart posture in our sinful heart posture, holding our mess, living our life on our own terms. We've got this mess, but the truth is for anyone who would turn, and present their mess to Christ in humility, he responds to it with forgiveness and cleansing. He consistently does. And it is in the Old Testament, and it is in the New Testament. Do you think you are too unclean? Have you heard this line? Surely you have if you grew up in in Protestant churches. A holy God can't tolerate sin in his presence. Who has heard this? Something to that effect. Perhaps you've heard someone speak it with such a voice. A holy God cannot tolerate sin in his presence. And it's, it's not untrue. It's, not unt- it's, it's a half-truth. It's missing something. A holy God can't tolerate sin in his presence, and that is why he cleanses us. And that is why he forgives us. See how the same stat- statement can have a completely different heart behind it. That statement that can be used to exclude and promote hatred and fear can suddenly be, yeah, God can't tolerate your sin, which is why He's willing to forgive it, which is why He's willing to cleanse you. If you would but come. If you would but come. If you think you are unworthy, you are in very good company. We are made worthy by a good God. We're not going to delve deeply into the um, narrative around the centurion, but we will, we will focus on something within it. So, this centurion, when Jesus, Jesus offers to come and heal this centurion's servant, the centurion has this amazing reply. In verse 8, it says, The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. So, he's, a hum- he's humble. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And then later it says, And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. This is a centurion who, a lot of Jews didn't, who believed in Jesus didn't have this type of faith yet, but he actually just made this really logical conclusion. He goes, I get how authority works. I have authority in this world. I know how it works. If I say to that soldier, go and kill that man, he will go and do it. I get authority. That's just how, so if you are truly God and you have authority, you don't need to come to my house. My goodness, you can just heal him right now if you want to. If you are who you say you are, then that's how authority works. And Jesus is like, man, I haven't come across faith like this yet. It's amazing. But what are we to get from this that applies to what I said? Well, I want to tell you two things that are true this morning. Two things that are true that I would encourage all of us to let sit deeply in our hearts. The first is this. Jesus has the authority to forgive and cleanse you. That's the first truth. And the second truth is this. Jesus is willing to forgive and cleanse you. Jesus has the authority to forgive and cleanse you, and Jesus is willing to forgive and cleanse you for all who would come. So won't you come? Won't you re-embrace this morning... The truth that you can approach our gracious King, and 10 times out of 10, if you hold his, your mess before him, his response is the same, I am willing, I'll make you clean. Let him touch you and cleanse you. And if you, if when I, you know, we don't want to be presumptuous here at, at Springwood Baptist, but if when I describe the person who's living on their own terms, holding their mess, ignoring God, and you're feeling this urge within you to turn for the first time and embrace the forgiveness and cleansing that is in Christ. Embrace the new eternal relationship you can have in Christ. I am also more than happy to talk more with you, to pray with you. All the pastors here, there are other lovely good Christian people here. Certainly their prayers are just as effective as mine, I can tell you. Um, We would love to talk to you about that. Because that invitation goes out to you as well. So it's not true that if you bring your mess to church, you'll be smote on the spot. I doubt many of us would have made it through the front door. Let Him touch you, let Him cleanse you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, I thank you so much that your kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this earth. I thank you that your kingdom is not one that rewards the arrogant, the proud, the unforgiving. Lord, it's not one that um, rewards those who are easy to discard others. And we just thank you that you have a kingdom and that you are a king. That when this leper who felt excluded, who, f- who was possibly full of self-loathing, that was symbolically at least barred from worship, that, that you are, that this is a kingdom and you are a king who when that person approaches you, you reach out and you touch them and you embrace them. May we remember that that is your heart towards us as we bring ourselves in all our mess to you. And may we, and I just pray for the community, Lord, beyond this church, the people that don't know, that don't know that this is what you are like. May they come to know. May they come to know that they like us, are welcome to come and be made worthy by a good and gracious King who forgives and cleanses us white as snow. Amen.